Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. We're a network that exists to provide relationships and resources to amplify a Jesus-centered movement, and we seek to embody a more hopeful vision of following Jesus in our cultural moment. Join us as we learn from those who are looking to live out a greater Jesus centricity in their areas of leadership and mission. If you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome. Check us out on social media or at JesusCollective.com for ways you can connect to this growing movement. Okay, let's get into today's podcast. Hey, friends, this is John Hand. I am standing in for Paul Walker today for this version of our Jesus Collective podcast. I am here today with co-host Keith Smith. I'll let Keith introduce himself in a minute. We are excited for this conversation that we're having today about how do we approach in our attitude? How do we approach in our conversations? How do we make sense of a Jesus-y way to face into the Palestinian and Israeli conflict that's unfolding right now? And so I am excited about who we have as guests today for this conversation. This will be a challenging and good and we hope Jesus-y conversation that will inspire us to be people of peace in how we talk about this, how we face it. And I, um, I hope that this conversation helps you to uh, be equipped to be a Jesus-y ambassador uh, in your life and leadership. So I want to highlight a couple of things we have going on in Jesus Collective to make you aware of, everybody. So a couple things. First off, uh, we are having our first in the States uh, version of Unite. We had our Unite conference, which is our large group kind of network-wide Jesus Collective and partners and friends gathering in 2022 in Toronto. And now we are going to be in St. Paul, Minnesota at Woodland Hills Church. And the name of this conference this year in April 24 through 26 is The Prophetic Church, How a Church Renewed by Jesus Can Surprise the World. And we are going to look at four pain points in this conversation unfolding really in the Western church context. Uh, We're going to look at polarization because we believe a polarized church has nothing to offer a polarized world. We're going to look at anxiety and mental health. How can we be agents of healing, non-anxious presence, agents of healing? We're going to look at how a spiritually rich, thick church brings like hope to a cynical world. And then we're going to, we're going to look at power and how is it that we steward power? A church <laughs> obsessed with control has nothing to offer a world obsessed with control. And so we want to talk about these pain points and how we can um, navigate in Jesus-y ways. And so our friend Brian Zond is going to be a part of the conference. And Marlena Graves, just a um, really insightful uh, Jesus-y professor and writer, author, uh, will be joining us. We'll have Issa Mbolo from uh, MCC, one of our partners over in Zambia, who is just um, experiencing incredible miracles in navigating polarization in Southern Africa through peace clubs. 
it's going to be a good time. And we invite you to go to the website and check out Unite 2024. The other thing I'll say before we uh, dive in today is we are launching our online learning collective six weeks, really diving into the the life and teaching of Jesus as it applies to leadership and discipleship in a polarized world. We're going to look at six aspects of the ministry of Jesus and how that equips us to steer into some of the hardest kind of polarizing conversations that we might experience in our life and leadership. That's going to be starting in late January. And you can go to jesuscollective.com to learn more about the online learning collective under our events page. We would love to have you check it out. Okay. Now to the podcast. Um, Keith, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm great. It's been a while. It's good to get back together like this. It has been a while. Uh, I haven't, I haven't led the podcast in, I don't know, probably nine months. I've been on here and there with Paul and I don't think we've ever done a podcast together. So look at us. Wow. We've done a lot together, but maybe this is a first. (laughs) This is a first. So, uh, Keith, tell us a little bit, just context about yourself. Yeah. And then would you, would you invite in our first guest? Yeah, gladly. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Keith Smith. I am, uh, I find myself at many intersections these days. Uh, first off, I am in Northeast Ohio, uh, Worcester. Uh, I am a pastor. Uh, we, my wife and I and a team planted uh, our church uh, about 12 years ago. Uh, I'm also a city coordinator for 24-7 prayer. Uh, we uh, host a, a community prayer space for our city and county. Um, adjunct professor, uh, Malone University, uh, full-time girl dad, you know, even <laughs> though my baby just turned 17 yesterday. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I find myself uh, wearing a lot of hats, but ultimately uh, my heart is a bridge builder, uh, a architect of hope and peace. Uh, nice. So I, I find myself doing that wherever I'm at. Uh, so, yeah, well, I am honored and uh, excited to introduce our guest to the podcast today. Um, I consider uh, Mercy to be a, a good friend. Uh, when I met her a few years back, uh, it was at the first Brian Zahn Water to Wine conference at Word of Life Church, and I instantly uh, felt like I, I met a family member and uh, tracked with uh, what she's been involved in over the years. Um, my daughter and mom and youngest sister uh, were on a trip with Mercy and uh, Perry Zahn over in the Middle East uh, last year. Uh, I, I believe that Mercy is a prophetic voice to the body of Christ today. Uh, she's the uh, co-author of In the Dark Street Shining, uh, and so, uh, without any further ado, uh, Mercy Aiken. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. Um, not sure what else I could add to that introduction, um, except I'll just mention that I am the relationship manager for Network of Evangelicals for the Middle East, NIMI. You can find us online at NIMI.network, and you can find us on social media. We're doing a lot to 
open up and broaden the conversation within evangelical circles in particular regarding Israel and Palestine. So we're a collective of leaders and scholars and pastors and um, lay people who are looking for and living into and speaking and learning about a more holistic perspective for Israel-Palestine. So if that interests you, we'd love to connect with you. Thank you. Um, thanks, Mercy. It's great to have you first time on the Jesus Collective podcast. And I'm also excited to invite my new friend, Anna Vogt, uh, to join us here on the podcast. And Anna is um, Anna lives in Ottawa, Canada. She works for MCC, Mennonite Central Committee, and she works in the areas of advocacy and working for uh, advancing like peacemaking through advocacy and government. And we're excited, Anna, to have you join us. Would love to hear a little bit more about yourself and how is it that you find yourself in this conversation today? Sure. Well, thank you, John. And hello, Mercy and Keith. It's a delight to be with you on this podcast and get to dive deeper into some of these this conversation together. So as John mentioned, my name is Anna Vogt. I work for Mennonite Central Committee Canada. I'm located in Ottawa. And my role is Director of Advocacy and Public Policy, which basically is just a long job title for saying that I'm a lobbyist. One of the primary parts of what I do is talk to the Canadian government about MCC's work. We work to talk about policies coming out of the Canadian government that impact our work of relief, development, and peacebuilding in a negative way, and also work to really push and encourage ways in which the Canadian government can take more leadership in support of peacebuilding, to be able to affirm positive policies, and to shape different ways of working that, again, advance our some of our goals around global peace of people living in right relationship with one another. Part of our mission statement is right relationships with God, one another, and with creation, and seeing how advocacy can be an avenue to do that. And also, how do we apply peace building to advocacy and to some of those conversations that we're having with, with government officials? And then before moving to Ottawa, I actually worked with MCC in Latin America. I spent seven years working with churches who are doing peace building in Colombia, and then in other parts of Latin America, responding to migration, working on hospitality, and then bringing some of that here to my work here in Ottawa. So looking forward to diving into this topic. Yeah. Anna, um, so you are in Canada. I live in Canada. Keith is in Ohio. Mercy, you're, you're in Arizona. So we have we have a, this is a binational conversation that we're having on this, on this podcast. And Anna, I'm curious, um, you know, what is your, so here we are talking about Israel Palestine. What's your, what's your experience in this conversation and wh what do you, what has kind of prepared you to, you know, offer some helpful insights into this conversation? Sure. Well, I think I have both a personal experience and a professional experience working on this context. Actually, right after I graduated from high school in like 2000, 2001, I actually traveled to Israel as part of a very evangelical learning tour to look at, it was framed as looking at the work God is doing to actually bring Jews back to the promised land. So a very evangelical, very Zionist experience at that point in my life. 
And then fast forward to about 2015, and I returned back 15 years later with um, the Christian Reformed Church to actually dive deep into conflict dynamics, to learn, get a very different, actually, version of the experience that I had had in 2000. Met with the Palestinians, met with Israelis, both Jews and Muslims, who were working to engage in peace building. And to almost have those two mirrored experiences. And now I work for MCC. MCC has been working in Israel and Palestine for over 70 years with mm. partners um, providing relief, doing development work, and also spending a lot of time on peace building and on advocacy work. And I was able to actually visit again in 2019 with my MCC hat on mm-hmm. and spend time with those partners and programs. And part of my role now. And part of why I visited was to actually talk to the Canadian government about Canada's role and relationship with this conflict. Hmm. Wow. And like you have a it's interesting how you've intersected with this conversation experientially at different like seasons of your life, wearing very different kind of hats of perspective in and out of, uh, you know, in and out of this literally like this. Uh, conflict has been ongoing for all of these years up to this point. So we're uh, excited to have kind of that history being brought to this moment with us. Mercy would love to uh, hear uh, maybe some of your story. How do you find yourself at this intersection uh, today? What is some of the backstory uh, that brings you here? Well, it's, it's interesting because when Anna was talking, I was like, gosh, the dates are the same for me. Mm. <laughs> I, oh, wow. remember, I remember about the year 2000. It was well around the time of the second intifada. I was very, very interested in Israel and Palestine as a young adult. And I was very, um, I I just had a very, very one-sided view of things. I didn't really understand the Palestinian perspective whatsoever. Um, and I was very wholeheartedly, you know, for Israel, for the safety of Jewish people. And that's a sentiment that I still hold to this day. Um, but it was some years later that I read a book called Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. It's a book that I recommend to everybody. It's a very good, um, way. It's just a very good open door to come into a larger understanding Uh, For me, learning about Palestinians and that there was such a thing as Palestinian Christians, which in all of my deep dive around the years of the Second Intifada, I never learned that there was such a thing as Palestinian Christians. Nobody Mm. ever mentioned that. And I was floored to discover that there was, and, and then it was like, well, of course, this is the land of the gospel. Why wouldn't there have been Christians living here for the past 2,000 years? And through Elias Shakur's story, I began to understand that there was grace and dignity and wisdom and beauty and and a deep rootedness of Palestinians in the land, and that Mm -hmm. there was a beautiful culture, and that there was an ethic towards peacemaking and gentleness and things that I had never even considered. So, 
I'll jump ahead to about 2015. I think that's when you said, Anna, you went over there for your second, well, it was my first time to go over, but it was also kind of for the second experience of getting to know and understand the Palestinian narrative. So I went over there after um, the 2014 Israel-Gaza war. And that just sort of prompted me to, I felt that I had to put more of my uh, life into this. And I felt very much called by God directly to go and to spend time with Palestinian Christians to live in the occupied territories and to begin to understand the situation from a firsthand experience. So I did that and began volunteering with Bethlehem Bible College, which is the only Christian Bible college in the West Bank, or was at the time. There is now Bethlehem University and some other places of higher education, but it was established in 1979, and um, it's it's been a powerful prophetic voice, I think, to the rest of the church, and it's been a powerful voice of the gospel to mm-hmm. its own community. And so there was just a lot uh, that I admired about what this ministry was doing. So I had the privilege of living there on the campus with them on and off for the next five years until COVID kind of brought an end to that coming and going as I was able to uh, with visas. So that's my on the ground experience. And then, and then Mercy, can you say something about your book? Because really you were, you know, really writing, writing that experience in your book. And I, I'd love to hear like a bit of a summary of like what, what is, what is the takeaway that you want people to take from your book? Thank you for asking that question. The book uh, was a real privilege for me to work on with Bashar Awad, who is the founder of Bethlehem Bible College. And as I got to know this very gentle, very loving man who just embodied the grace of Christ in a really special way, I think anyone that meets him would agree with that. Um, As I began to hear about his life story, I was just floored at these stories of the of the what what he lived through personally what his family lived through what his christian community lived through and the palestinian community at large so kind of inspired by blood brothers i thought we need to get another story out there like that of some more palestinian christian voices um telling what they went through in 1948 and the nakba and so on and and Bashar's incredible faith of building this Bible college against all odds under a military occupation in Bethlehem. Um, so my takeaway from that, or what I hope people would take away from that, is that there's much more to the story than you have probably heard uh, growing up in the evangelical world. And at the very least, I think as Christians, we owe it to our brothers and sisters in Christ to hear their perspective and experience. And so it's to bring out a a chorus of voices personified in Bashar's voice that have been marginalized, Mm. silenced, and made invisible and allow their story to disrupt our easy narratives. Uh, We need to be disrupted. And I don't even... I'm not telling people to come to any type of conclusion. I'm just saying, open your heart for disruption and see what the Holy Spirit might speak. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus Collective, we say disruption is where the transformation happens. 
if it's going to be possible, uh, it's going to happen in the in the disruption space. Amen. The, the book, just so we're naming it, um, Yet in the Dark Street Shining, A Palestinian Story of Hope and Resilience in Bethlehem. Yes. And you can get it on Amazon.com. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm curious, uh, Anna, you're working in governments and then you, you know, you have a, a connection to the local church and, and pastors. And so what are you seeing as the, what are the polarities that you see around this conversation? If we were just walk in the middle of the polarities and name them, what would, what would you say? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and something again, that I've been wrestling with as we think about how to engage. I mentioned that I talked to government. I also work to prepare materials as well for churches, for MCC supporters about how they can get engaged. And it's often feels like a really careful conversation. And I think even that sense of this is a careful, difficult conversation is almost that first sense that I see just this nervousness to even figure out, so how do we talk about this? Mm -hmm. And how do we support our churches, our communities, ourselves as organizations as we talk about it? Because we really want to have, we have this intention of wanting to think about what are our values? How do we represent them well? And then also this incredible pressure to think about, and then what does it mean to take a really strong stand? And I think these polarities where it's really easy to get sucked into this political narrative of which side are we on? Mm -hmm. And are we, as a church, as a congregation, are we pro-Palestinian? Are we pro-Israeli? And then all of these voices that say, but what about this? But what about this? And then also these voices that say, well, it's not actually that complicated. It's really straightforward. Like you're either on one side or you're on the other side. Mm -hmm. And then I think it becomes easier to actually not have the conversation because the conversation itself feels so fraught. Mm -hmm. And, and so almost what are the tools or the skills that we need in order to have the conversation? Well, I think is sometimes where the gap is, but I think there's tons of people want to respond, want to figure out how to respond, but how to respond well in a way that doesn't further create polarities, I think is sometimes the challenge that, that I'm seeing. Yes, I would just jump in and agree with that. And I would say for people who are who are grappling with that question, one of the things that really helped me early on, and I don't know who came up with this slogan, but we're not pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli. We are pro-justice and pro-peace. Mm. And so that takes away this false dichotomy that you have to be on the side of one people or another. I am for everybody in that land to live in peace and justice and to flourish and to be blessed. And I believe it could be the most amazing country on the face of the earth. I really do with like some of the incredible peacemakers that I've met in Palestine and in Israel. Um, so just to immediately reject this premise that we have to be on the side of one people or another, I think is one of the most crucial starting points for everybody. And I believe that's where the Holy Spirit is inviting all of the church to come in uh, to that place. Yeah. 
fully 100% affirm that statement. And and also, I think what I want to pick up from what you were saying to Mercy is something, just a quote from actually one of the pastors of the Evangelical Lutheran Church right outside of Bethlehem. His name is Ashraf Tanus. I may have pronounced that wrong, but he shared a video with MCC, which basically says the land is holy because the people here are part of this land. And that means all of the people that are part of this land. And so how are we working and holding that, that it's not pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli. We're also pro-people. We're pro this holy land and this unique interweavings of faith and people of the book. And how does that shape our own faith here at home to engage in those complexities as well without needing to hold to certainty? Yes. I, I think some, some of the people that I know in the land, I'll just say this really quick. I felt that some of the some of the peace activists on the Israeli side that I know have held that tension in a really in really beautiful ways, talking about holding room in your heart to grieve for two people simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and mm. many Palestinians are also talking about it. How difficult that is. It's so much more painful. You know, there's so much more pain you have to bear. It's easier to just say, I'm going to grieve for this side or this side. And well, the other side, they deserve it. But when you're just going to open your heart to the genuine grief and sorrow that everybody in the land is feeling right now, it's a much heavier burden to bear. But I also think in that place, that's where we are also going to find the wisdom and the answers that we're seeking. It's not going to come. It absolutely cannot come from just one side of the heart. We have to have both of we have to have both of them there. So I really I really value uh, what you're saying here, you know, around pro peace, pro justice, pro pro people, having a place in your heart for both. And I think it sounds this sounds really good. I I'm with you, and. You know, I think Keith, as a pastor, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're in Ohio. Uh, you're so you're in Middle America, and when you hear these things, I'm, you know, I wonder as a pastor if there's this other side, so- other side of you that's like, yes, I hear that, and I hear these people in my head, in my experience, kind of throwing up objections. So what are some of the objections that you are hearing as a pastor that you think we just maybe need to name in this to, to steer into? Yeah, no, that, that's an excellent question. Uh, it, it's challenging um, pastoring in this type of climate right now um, because, you know, as a pastor, I do the best I can to uh, point, direct, preach, teach, disciple, uh, in a Jesus-centered context, um, but the noise that is surrounding us uh, really takes the attention of most people, you know, and it's a very loud and dominant voice. Um, it's very, uh, there's, it's a very passionate voice. And so I, I find myself uh, really trying to center Jesus because really what, what, I, what I found is uh, when Jesus is not the center, it is so easy to make certain topics uh, more of an idol uh, than it is really bringing hope and solution. Uh, and so it, it's like in 
the example of the matrix, you know, Jesus is like the red pill, you know, <laughs> that, that opens your eyes to see the realities of the world around you that you've just been going through and fighting your own battles. Um, but when you start getting into things like prophecy, you know, the fulfillment of prophecy, yes. uh, the, the role of the, of, of the church to bless Israel, to support Israel, to stand with Israel. Um, those are things that, you know, you hear a lot of, uh, and really it comes, it appears to come at the expense of others around, you know? And so, uh, I, I would love, uh, to hear mercy. Uh, how do you speak to, uh, some of those type of questions, you know, are we supposed to, you know, stand with Israel? Is that like a Christian call? Is that, you know, is that something that you find from Jesus in our call to be disciples? Is it to stand like with Israel? Is that kind of, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. Um, I, I personally would answer that by saying, I don't feel that as Christians, we're called to stand with any nation state, a political structure um, with its own goals, um, which may or may not represent the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But right. as I read the Bible, all of the nations are in opposition to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So again, we recenter Jesus and his kingdom. Um so, no, to stand with a nation-state of Israel. Now, to support the safety of Jewish people, to combat anti-Semitism, 100%, please do. But not, at, you know, also realize that Palestinians need people um, to stand with them, too, because we're talking about humans. We want to stand um, with human beings. We want to stand with people who are made in the image and likeness of God and who Jesus loves. Um, so... You know, I have a lot of questions that I like to, you know, ask people when when they have when they bring that up. But that would be one of the ones that I would ask them. I would also ask them if you believe that the Lord, you know, has this covenantal faithfulness to Jews and therefore you feel obligated to support the state of Israel. The Lord also commands us with covenantal faithfulness to the body of Christ. So how are you going to deal with that? And the Lord also speaks often of his faithfulness to the poor and the marginalized and those who are being oppressed. So how are you going to deal? We're not going to, we can't throw all those other things out in favor of one. So you have to grapple now with the tension of all of these things. And in that, perhaps you can find a prophetic voice that you will find very generously offered to us throughout the entire Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. Um, another another question that I would just ask in terms of people who feel obligated to stand with Israel as a political state um, due to some eschatology that they might have, mm -hmm. um, I would say that people have often been wrong about eschatology throughout church history, and they have often done um, dangerous things things that are anti-Christ, things that are very much not in the nature of Jesus Christ or his kingdom, because they thought it was the certain time on God's clock, therefore these people are the enemies and we need to do something about it. So I feel that if that's the stance you're going to take, you may very well live to regret it when you stand before the Lord 
and have to give account for your life and the things that you supported. But if you prioritize loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the Lord with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, and really ask the hard question, who is my neighbor, as Jesus directed us to, Mm -hmm. uh, you will not have anything to be ashamed of when you stand before the Lord. So go with that. Mm. That's good. Yes. But there's like this, um, you know, there's this, my inner devil's advocate is like quite activated right now. Bring it on. (laughs) And like, because I hear, I hear that. And Anna, you know, you're representing a a uh, organization that advocates for nonviolent resolution of conflict. And we've all read, like, formerly Twitter X feeds of people who have, who are in Israel giving firsthand accounts of the horror of having Hamas hunt them like an animal in their neighborhood. Or we're watching uh, the Palestinian people like literally trapped inside like fish in a barrel being being shot at and having rockets landing on them from Israel and Israel saying, well, we have to defend ourselves and eradicate Hamas. Otherwise, it's just going to come back and keep killing our people. And so like (laughs) – all of this pro-peace, pro-justice, pro-people is great. But then you have a world where are we not to defend ourselves? Are they not to defend themselves on either way? Like, what do you what do you say to that as a person representing a peacemaking organization? First of all, I start by taking a deep breath and just saying like... <laughs> right. Deep breath, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of real things in your question, too. And there's a lot of narratives or ways in which we operate in which violence is often seen as the response. And I think it's really, really hard and difficult sometimes to go into those conversations and especially sitting in my desk in Ottawa where I'm not facing violence. So just to also acknowledge that I'm not facing violence today. And just even sometimes the tensions that I feel going into those spaces and saying, well, actually, I don't think violence is the way forward, especially if you are under threat or under attack on either side. But And John, when I listen to you, though, I hear narratives that I hear from Israelis and I hear from Palestinians Mm -hmm. around We're facing violence. We're facing, we're afraid. Our histories are one of fear, of displacement, of trauma. And to me, that is both a reality and an invitation to say, at what point do we want to try something different? Mm -hmm. At what point do we also want to say, and maybe, Mercy, this comes back to your point, where are the voices for peace in Palestine and Israel? Because they're there. What is the work that they're doing? How do they possibly Mm. invite us into what a different way could be? Because I think for the last 70 years, it's just been a cycle of this. And so maybe at some point, no one is ever going to be defeated through military action here. 
And I think that's also where I want to say, so maybe can we look at a different way forward where we are losing fewer of the precious human beings created in the image of God that exist in this region. But then I want to acknowledge that it takes incredible courage to be the group that says we're going to choose to stop. Because that does involve this creation of a space to try something different. But it needs, there has to be at least a little bit of trust that the person that you're engaging with, that the other side is also willing to do that with you. And I just want to really acknowledge the courage that it takes to stop a cycle of violence. Mm. Because it involves sometimes the willingness to sacrifice Instead of doing that self-defense, you are maybe opening yourself up to be a target. Yeah. And so just to really acknowledge the complexities and the weightiness and the courage that that takes. Yeah. Again, sitting oh. from my desk in Ottawa where no one wow. is actively threatening me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you just calling that out because that's one of the things that I have found so painful being over there is like all the armchair pundits (laughs) on the other side of the ocean, sitting in the comfort of their office or, you know, desk, writing all of these things that the people over there have to deal with, with their very life, like being on the line. And it's so much easier to have your eschatology all penned out or your war theory or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, but it's people over there who are paying the price for it. Um, And yes, I just want to reiterate, I just agree with everything that Anna just said, because this cycle of violence has continued as it does. And when I look at people saying we have to fully eradicate Hamas now or Hamas thinking like we can, whatever they thought they could actually accomplish uh, by attacking all those uh, Israelis living at the border of Gaza. Um, It's not going to solve it. We know this because we've seen this cycle over there again and again and again. And anyone who thinks you can eradicate like a mindset, you can't, especially when, when this mindset is built around some... I do not legitimize the use of Hamas's violence or much of their rhetoric, but they do live in a situation of living under siege in Gaza for the past 16 years. Many of them, most of them actually are refugees from other parts of Israel, and they have been sitting for years looking at injustices also enacted on the West Bank and especially around the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so they do have some legitimate points. that that need to be addressed in genuine peacemaking. So mm-hmm. so my point is merely, and, and as Anna also said, there are a lot of people working on the ground, it, very, very courageous Israelis and Palestinians who are saying this, who are saying, we have to get to the root of this problem. Mm. You know, we have to get to the root of this problem so that all of us can live here in peace and freedom and dignity with equality. That is the root of the problem. And so those are the voices that really need to be amplified. Those are the voices that need to be supported. Those are the people that we in the West should be talking to, the people who are actually doing the hard work of real peacemaking Um, on the ground. And I also just want to say that it's really easy for us here in the U.S. to criticize like 
the violence that's going on over there. But I think we also need to take a spoonful of that medicine for ourselves or maybe a gallon of that same medicine for ourselves. <laughs> I was going to say a spoonful? Uh, I don't, is that yeah, enough? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, no, we need we need to have a steady diet of taking that same medicine for ourselves because we are also uh, perpetrators of violence all around the world that we support. And so we can't expect someone to critique it, you know, in some other context if we're not critiquing it within our own context. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. yeah, Mercy, I think maybe one thing I would add is just also I think it can be helpful for us to sometimes step back from this conflict and say, we often hear that this conflict is talked about as the most unique conflict in the world. I don't know if it is. I think there are also lessons that we can learn about the ways in which conflicts have ended in other places. Yes. The way that peacemakers have engaged in other places. And maybe even instead of saying, what is the unique role or not, unique role isn't the right way of framing it, but like, what is our response to this conflict? What is our response as churches to global conflict? Right. How can we understand, and I think often of the church that I worked with in Colombia, who worked in a, not the same dynamic, but like guerrilla fighters, um, multiple armed groups, and the desire of the state was we're going to eradicate all of them. And that was impossible, but tons of civilians ended up dying in the process. And eventually yeah. people had to go to the negotiating table. Right. Like there was no other way to end that conflict. And right. to just think about what are other ways in which conflict takes place and ends? And then can we make this conflict less of a personal ideology and more of a, okay, what are lessons that we have learned from other spaces? And how do we want to engage in other conflicts too? But to step back a little bit, I think can also be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And just just calling, I like what you just said, because you're reaffirming the call of the church to take the position of peacemakers in the world in whatever context that we find ourselves in. And I think that's also a really good starting point for anybody who wants to engage with this conflict. Can you can you help us? I mean, this is good. Um, and this is wise. And again, we have to name that we're in Ontario and Ohio and Arizona. We're not in Palestine right now. We're not in Gaza. We're not in Israel. So what are you seeing Israelis and Palestinian Christians doing in in the you know with the little control they have to make peace? Um, you know, either before this conflict, in the ongoing kind of efforts to build bridges, what are they doing that we need to know that we don't know, or many maybe don't know they're doing to make peace? Well, first, I would say making peace, there's like multi-pronged approaches and there's different areas, like not everyone is going to be doing the exact same thing. Some people are going to be more focused on um just simple work of reconciliation and let's just get together and have dinner together and talk to each other. Other people are going to be more involved in the more prophetic side of it, which is the harder truth-telling um, aspect. And I think that all of it is needed and all of it is necessary. So I'm not one of those people who scorns one aspect of yeah. any of it. I just say we need more of all of it. Bring it all on. Thank you for anything that you're doing <laughs> anywhere. 
Um, and so certainly within the spectrum of Palestinian Christians and Messianic Jews, um, there is that whole spectrum. And there are also, I will say, there are people, these communities are not perfect in terms of their engagement with peacemaking. And there are people on both sides who are so hurt and so mm -hmm. disaffected. Right. Um, Palestinians who've been so hurt and disaffected that they, it's very, very hard for them to engage like in any form of let me, let me have dinner with an Israeli. Now, especially if they live in the West Bank, they don't really get opportunity for that anyway, because they are behind a separation wall. The only Israelis they will likely ever interact with are soldiers or maybe settlers. So that's that's going to be a little bit different. But in Israel, within the boundaries of Israel, there's a there's one group I would like to point people to. It's called Musalaha. Um, it means reconciliation in Arabic. It was started by Palestinian Christians and Messianic Jews. And the idea is we're going to come together and we're going to learn each other's narrative. We're going to hold space to grieve for the trauma that each other have experienced. And then together, we're slowly going to work towards building a more just and kingdom-like society here. Uh, and there, bless them, there are people who even today in the midst of the intense polarization over there who are still doing that type of work. But to take it back to the to the Palestinians living in the occupied territories, I would say, as Anna said, I'd like to hear what you have to say about Bethlehem Bible College. Bethlehem Bible College has started a biannual conference called Christ at the Checkpoint, which they do every mm. two years. And this is to invite Western evangelicals and Christians, or really the global church, to come and help them engage scripturally, theologically, prophetically, um, socially, politically, all of it, with the experience of Palestinian Christians who are living under the shadow of the checkpoint and all that that implies as, as to how that affects their life. So I see that also as a part of peacemaking, even though there are many who are more of the soft, fuzzy end of the spectrum who would see that as disruptive. I see that as good trouble, good disruption, and a necessary call um, to engage again with some of the root issues here. Yeah, well, maybe if I can just add a couple more examples from the MCC side. We work with a partner named Zokrot, who works actually in Israel and is a, an organization that actually does learning tours and tries to raise awareness. I think, Mercy, you were just talking about that extreme separation between Israelis and Palestinians. That is actually really hard and sometimes even criminalized for people to sit down together and to talk. And that just fuels this othering narrative. So we have a partner that works to actually do education about what happened during the Nakba, what happened in 1948, and do that education in Israel itself to help, again, a little bit of that disruptive piece that you're talking about but shaping narratives. And then we also work with partners who are in Gaza right now who are working to try to provide relief, who have access to almost zero um, human resources, material resources to provide, but are calling MCC and saying, can you help us help? Mm. And to me, that's just also this beautiful testimony of the strength and dignity of people that live on this land, yes. that that response in the midst of devastation to say, we're not just trying to protect ourselves. We want to figure out how do we support our neighbors? 
How do we love our neighbors? How do we respond in the midst of incredible difficulty? Yes. And that to me is, maybe it's not that same fuzzy peacemaking, but this is also what is needed. And then what, how can we support that work? Because that's what's needed to also rebuild. Yeah. And and I would just add, uh, because my question was directed more specifically like what Christians are doing, but just to follow up with what Anna said, and we don't have time to probably get into it within this podcast, but there are so many amazing Jewish and Muslim and just secular types of organizations in Israel proper and in the occupied Palestinian territories and Gaza who are doing incredible works. And yes, those are the voices that we need to amplify and support them and bless them and pray for them. They are the leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that they show us how to follow Jesus here. Yes. They do. Wow. This has been so good. And I know we are coming to an end, um, but I, I would love if you could address this. Uh, the question for those who might listen to this later, um, how can I help? What can I do? You know, yes, we are in a place where we're not in the middle of the conflict, um, but so many people are wanting to know. Uh, so how would you uh, speak to that? Uh, what could I do, or maybe even what could I stop doing that could be helpful in like this conflict? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm wearing my advocacy hat right now, so I'm going to start with my advocacy hat and then talk maybe another element. But I think in terms of advocacy, we're just encouraging the Canadian government to take a stand for nonviolence, and that we want to see as many lives not lost as possible. And so we're encouraging a ceasefire. I spent a day actually talking to members of parliament with a bunch of different organizations on Tuesday. And we're hearing about inboxes that are being flooded by letters, by requests. Probably over 300,000 Canadians are reaching out to their members wow. of parliament. We have a small wow. population in Canada. That's remarkable. And then on the other side, I would say what to stop doing maybe within that is to both stop and to do is When you feel the most like you are right and your neighbor is wrong on this conflict, that's a moment to pause and to stop and to engage with curiosity. And so I would say both advocate and also engage with curiosity. Engage in those spaces where so much of our call to peacemaking is how do we relate to each Mm -hmm. other? How do we build stronger relationships with each other in our churches, in our communities? as we work to draw closer to Jesus to call for nonviolence. And I think it's both of those things. And I believe that that kind of response will change the way that we're able to respond and look for. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you. Amen. I would say amen to all of that. Uh, That's some of what I was going to say. Um, You know, use your voice to advocate. But I will also say, use your voice to advocate before the throne of God. Pray. Um, Uh We sometimes think of prayer as the last resort or the side thing. But prayer, as we know, there is power in prayer. Um, And it changes our hearts as well as Uh the situation. Uh We need to engage in prayer for um, Israelis and Palestinians. And we might even want to consider fasting and praying. I mean, really, if there's a time to 
humble ourselves and lament before God, I believe this is an appropriate time for that. Mm. Um, but yes, also contact your representatives in the United States. We are doing, there's lots of organizations that are that are pushing for that. Churches for Middle East Peace is a great way where you can begin to call. We found that calling your representatives has more of an impact than sending them a letter or signing a petition. So I would encourage people to call, take the time to make those calls. Um, and then educate yourself which is kind of what Anna was saying, in a posture of humility, there's so much more to learn. And so let's take that posture before God and before one another with humility. Wow. Where can people find information? And <clears throat> I'm just naming media bias here. Like we each, you know, whether you're conservative or progressive, you have your go-to source for information that has, that shares your bias. And so to like break the bias where if I'm if I'm more progressive on this, where should I go? If I'm more conservative on this, where should I go to have other perspectives that are going to challenge my perspective? Because I think this is a part of peacemaking. We have to mm -hmm. do this in ourselves. We have to disrupt ourselves if we're going to actually not just sing the ideological tune of whatever bias group I have that it, you know that I'm. It's cheering me on, and I'm cheering them on. So how do we break that pattern? Yeah, I don't know if I have any great sources for because you're kind of pointing it at both sides here. But I would say one of the things that I'm intentional in, say, my Instagram feed is that I want people to be pointing out the different perspectives. I don't want to hear one narrative of what I should do. Yeah. And so how can you cultivate, and this is hard, your social media so that you are actually like a little bit annoyed at half of the posts you're getting because they don't agree with what you think. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I would say also to listen to news sources outside the United States, news sources that are in the Middle East um, are going to be more helpful than a lot of the news sources that you're going to get in the United States. And I would say, you know, follow some of the Israeli papers, follow some of the Palestinian papers, follow Al Jazeera, you know, get and 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 also places where like there's an there's an Israeli media organization plus nine seven two. I find that very good because a lot of Israelis are writing it and and they're going to they're not just going to be bashing Israel or lauding Palestinians, but they're trying to find this place of nuance in the middle. And so I look for voices like that. So I would also go back to some of like the peacemaking organizations also like um, Beth Selim or Musalaha. I mean, there's many, many um, that you can find if you Google, or maybe we can put some in the a link yep. with the podcast or something like yeah, that. In our show notes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, we've been producing podcasts and news stories and other things as well about MCP's response. Yes. Which I think along with what Mercy is saying, like, how are we also not just we're hearing about devastation and then here are the people who are connected, who are responding, who we can put a human face as well to some of this. Yes. Yeah. Will you share wow. those with us after the fact, mm -hmm. uh, Anna? We'd love to Lizzie. give those links to people. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot at Nimi also that we can share. <laughs> okay, good. Good. We'll awesome. load up our listeners. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we are bringing this to an end. And um, Mercy, could you please uh, pray for us, uh, lead us in prayer? Um, I, I know, uh, as I've been following you, I know your heart has been just 
porn. And thank you for inviting me and my family to come on this journey for our eyes to be open, to see, to kind of lean in with that. Uh, but if you could, could you say a prayer for us and for our listeners uh, and just challenging us to be open and uh, however the Spirit leads you? Thank you. I would love to do that. Lord, I just thank you so much that you have opened up a space for us to have this conversation. And I thank you for all of the people who uh, will listen to this conversation. Holy Spirit, you know what each of us need to hear and do and how to move and where our hearts need to be touched. So I just invite you, Lord, that you would do this for every listener, that you would touch our ears, touch our minds, touch our hearts, enlarge us with compassion, enlarge us in your wisdom and the ways of your kingdom. And I pray that that people who listen to this will walk away knowing that they are called to engage in some way or another with the things that we have talked about today and that they will, um, by your spirit and by your power, arise into that in the name of Jesus. Uh, yes. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for this helpful conversation. Uh, we just appreciate the, <laughs> the what the spaces that you're navigating and the way that you're trying to work for peace and um thank you for your time and we'll load up the listeners with your good resources and uh we're gonna sign off and we just invite you the listener before you're gonna shut this off and head off to whatever else would you pause and pray for peace would you pray for peace in your own heart would you pray for peace in your neighborhood? Would you pray for peace in the Middle East? And we will see you next time. Thank you. God is at work raising up a movement of churches, ministries, and disciples all around the world that are passionate about advancing a more united and hopeful, Jesus-centered, Jesus-looking kingdom. If you're a listener today, I'm sure you can see and feel that. So... Can I ask you today if you'd help us amplify this Jesus-centered movement? Can you share the podcast, blog, and social media channels? We are on a mission to equip a centered set vision of a church renewed by Jesus by investing in the renewal of its leaders. Would you consider making a financial investment in Jesus Collective today? Is anything stopping you? If not, go to JesusCollective.com. Your investment means we can advance and amplify this Jesus-centered movement, investing in pastors and Christian leaders globally. Hey, and don't forget to make sure to check out our website for upcoming events. We've got a ton of great things happening.